0: Thanks so much for being here this morning. You made a great choice to be at church and to be a part of what God is doing here because we believe that when you enter into uh, the, the local church, when you enter into sitting underneath the teaching of the word uh, and where the Bible is, is taught that you become wiser, that good things can happen in your life as a result. It's not a guarantee that life will go perfectly or that you'll have more money or anything like that. We're not making any guarantees. In fact, you might even have less money or there may be more difficult things that happen or things that you think that are happening. But the reality is, is that when you understand who God is, you understand how life is intended to work and you understand uh, what it looks like to live life to the fullest. And without that, you can go on and you can, and you can do your own thing and you can take worldly wisdom and you can say, yeah, I'll receive that, I'll, I'll put that into my life. But until you actually hear what God has to say, the final authority on what life is and what life should be, uh, you and I don't know much. And so we're just kind of guessing in life. Wisdom is not just the ability to know wise things, but it's the ability to act on knowledge. It's, it's, it's saying, I know what's right to do, and wisdom is exercising those wise things in my life. It's exercising those things. And what Proverbs tells us, it's not a bunch of promises. What it is, it's a bunch of probabilities. It's the way that the world was intended to work. It doesn't mean that things don't go wrong. It doesn't mean that things don't work out right after you've worked all of your life to build this business and all of a sudden it's taken from you. It doesn't mean that that's not going to happen. What it means is this, is that when you do work hard, good things tend to happen. When you do uh, honor your parents, good things tend to happen. When you do find a good wife or a good husband, good things tend to happen. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. And so we're in a series in the book of Proverbs. It's one of the most famous books of the Bible because many people have looked to it and they've they've read it. People who don't believe in God have even looked at it and said, "Well, those are some wise sayings." But what we are saying is this is that these wise sayings are written by Solomon, but it is the word of God. And so God speaking through Solomon is speaking God's wisdom. And so that is what we're saying here through this Uh, through this series in Proverbs. Proverbs speaks to so many different things in our lives. It speaks to all different aspects of our character and and our marriages and our future spouses uh, or spouse, hopefully. And um, it speaks to the way that we work and the way that we talk and all of these great things. And so we can learn so much from that. This last week, I started a sermon that I had intended to finish last week, and I, I'm not even sure I got started. That's, uh, I, that's how much I got done. But what I began to say was this, is that when you think about your life, when you think about the opposite sex, what you know, what I know is this, is that the genders, male and female, are not interchangeable. This is in a soapbox about Uh, things that are going on in culture right now, but because there is confusion in culture right now as far as whether you can identify as something or the other, because there is confusion about that, what it can also do is it can confuse you in the context of your marriage or in your future marriage and cause you to think that somehow uh, that things work this way when they really work that way. But what you and I both know is this, is that the genders, male and female, are different. God created them differently. We used some illustrations from that where, where we said, like, when a guy says, I have nothing to wear, he literally has nothing to wear. Like, there's no clean clothes. There's holes in his, his shirts or, it, you know, his pants are all ripped out or something. And he says, I have nothing to wear. If a woman says, I have nothing to wear, what she is oftentimes saying, like, out of the thousands of things in my closet, like, there's nothing in there that I want to wear. And so there's a big difference there. A guy can look at her closet and say, well, what about this one? What about this one? What about this one? And that nothing's really working. That's what she's saying. The genders are different. We operate differently. We act differently. And so as a result, what takes place is that we are different people. And then when you come into a marriage, uh, what happens is this, is that those two genders come together and things take place. Things happen and there is this friction that takes place in really every marriage. There's this friction that happens in, in the context of every single marriage. And here's the thing, people come into marriage and they're, they're confused about uh, what should happen here and I, I thought that this was going to be so great and I thought that things were going to be so good. And in fact, I kind of brought a little uh, a prop here, and I'm not much of a prop guy, so this is kind of a big deal to me, but uh, I don't know if you know what this is. I know it looks pretty crazy here, but uh, yes, a bunch of two-by-fours stacked together. Uh, it's actually kind of a life-size Jenga set. And so uh, here's the thing. I, I, I thought of this this morning, and so we'll see if this totally bombs uh, or what happens, but... Um, I hate playing Jenga. I think it's the dumbest game in the world, all right? My wife is always trying to get me to play Jenga, and I hate it, I hate it. I'll watch other people do it, and I'll just sit there and think, this is so dumb. So if you come to my house and we sit on my patio, that's the only time I'm gonna think you're dumb is when you're playing Jenga, but I hate the game. However, I think it's a great illustration after that winning uh, Uh, endorsement of it. When we come to marriage, oftentimes we, we, I'm going to knock this thing over if I keep walking close to it, but it's kind of the way your marriage is. Don't walk too close to it. So um, so a a marriage, when you come to it and and you, you first get into marriage, you think, here we are, two people. We're whole and we're complete. It's like a brand new game of Jenga. And you're like, you know what? My husband better not jack things up and, like, take something out here and kind of destabilize our game of Jenga. He better not do that. Or my wife better love me the way that I want. And, and if she doesn't, then what's going to happen? See, I'm terrible at this game. If she doesn't, that's going to destabilize our marriage. And if we don't have enough finances or or something like that that's going to destabilize our marriage and if if this doesn't happen then that's going to be awful and then this is going to happen and then this yeah i better not do anymore but because uh, like i said i'm terrible at jenga i have not done this uh very much unless my kids ask me to do it with them and then i will because uh, i love them You come to marriage and you think, you know what, look at what my spouse has done to me. They took this out and they took that out and they took this piece out and they took that piece out. They took all of these things out. They took all of this stuff out and then you end up in the pastor's office or at my house or in the counselor's office or talking to your friend or talking to your neighbor or talking to somebody else and you say, I can't believe what they've done. They just keep eating away at my marriage. They keep doing this, and they keep doing that, and there is just, I'm going to cheat, there you go. Uh, They just keep doing all this stuff, and it's piece by piece, it's taking this thing apart. And you know, there are things that you can do like that, but the truth is this, is that every single one of us and I, I, I want to talk to those of you who are, who are not married yet. and Because you, you don't understand because you have no context for this. But I really want you to listen on this. I really want you to listen. Is that when you come to your marriage, you, you are already messed up. You are already missing pieces and parts. And things are coming out. And let's just, let's just kind of go down the list. Like... I was abused at this age and that took that out and I my my dad treated me this way and so uh, that took that piece out and then this thing took place and my parents did things in this way and so that took this out and that took this out and when you come to your marriage you're like a Jenga game that's been played to the hilt and there ain't a whole lot left holding that baby together. There's not a whole lot that's holding that thing up. When you come to a marriage and, you're, and you're, you just get into it, and here's what people who just get married think. This is what they think. I have found Mr. Right. I mean, he's, he's incredible. He wears steel-toed boots. He drives a big truck. I'm talking about myself. But, you know, whatever it is for you. I mean, that was it for my wife. He's just very physically fit. And he's a tough guy, likes meat, and you know, I mean, just great things, great qualities like that. But you, when you picked a spouse, when you picked someone, what you picked was you had all of these things that you really wanted in life, and you just said, "I'm out. It was, she, she's she's got to be hot, right?" And that's, and then the next thing for a guy is like, "Man, she's got to be hot," and then uh, she's she better be good looking, and I mean, guys going down the list there. You're picking out a spouse and you're, and you're thinking, okay, this is what I want and that's what I want. And then you come to marriage and you say, we should be a complete, this should be a complete Jenga game and don't you start removing my pieces. But if you think that way, you are, you're completely missing the point of marriage. You're completely missing why God created marriage. You're, you're completely missing what needs to happen in your marriage. Because every single one of us come together just like this. We're broken people. We're broken people. And now it says, you know, when I stand on a stage and I, and I perform uh, a wedding, and I say, and, and, the, and the two shall become one flesh. And what that means is this: is that when you come together with this this spouse, what's taking place is that God has set has intended that this would take place, that you would come together, and you're no longer two separate people, but you are one. You're this this one individual, and what's what's really happening is this: is that there's there's some individual pieces of your lives that have got to come together and be built together, and all of these things. And so, in essence, you've been You are now one flesh. God has said because you've made this covenant with one another, and it's not just a declaration of like I love you right now. Marriage is a covenant that says I'm going to love you in the future. Even when I hate you, I'm going to love you. Even when you do things against me, I'm going to love you. And so when you come together, you're saying this, like I am willing to be brought together with you and to stick with you even with all of these warts and things that are going wrong with your life and stuff that's going to come up and stuff we didn't know and stuff you didn't know, I'm willing to be in this thing with you. But then the question comes, like how do we put our lives back together if we're just broken people and we're coming together and we're supposed to become one person? How do we put ourselves back together? What takes place? What's, how does our marriage get healed? And the answer is this. Ultimately, it's Jesus. But I just want to tell you something right now. Like, You can know Jesus and still be a fool. You can know Jesus and you can be a complete fool. Because you can have all the knowledge without the application. Yet Proverbs is written to two primary people... It's really written to a son, but it's for all of us. It's written to a young man. But the the father is saying, my son, like this wisdom is is for the simple, and it's also for the fool, but the, the simple is somebody who just doesn't know any better. They just don't know any better. They're a simple person, but the fool is somebody who can be told what's up, and they go, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care. I'm, I'm going to act however I want. I'm going, to, I'm going to live however I want. And what it says in Proverbs twelve fifteen is that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A wise man listens to advice. And listen, just like Every single traffic problem has a Toyota Prius to blame, right? At its root, there's always a Toyota Prius that's at fault. It's not your fault if you own a Prius, but every traffic problem, I mean, if there's a backup on the highway or something, you can get to the front of that, and like, there's a Toyota Prius there, right? Here's the thing. With us, in our marriages, just like every traffic problem has this issue, like every marriage problem has a lack of wisdom it has a lack of wisdom and it needs wisdom to be filled into all of these things because you don't come to your marriage whole because you don't come to marriage with complete wisdom and if you think that somehow if they would just stop doing that I'm so irritated with this and I just want them to stop doing those things or if you think that it's just their fault, it's just their fault, it's just their fault, listen to this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The only way that you will make it out of these problems and not be just a bunch of sticks on the floor is by listening to advice. But if you, if, if you sit here and you say, you know what, I don't care what you say, I'm not gonna listen to anybody else speak into my life. I don't care to go to counseling. I don't care to let somebody else who's godly, who's been married, who has experience into my life. I'm gonna do whatever I want. Listen, you're a fool. That's foolishness. That is absolute foolishness. Let me, let me say this. You're not married yet, but you wanna be married bad. And then you find somebody and you say, "This is it. They have all of the things that I want. He's a good listener. I, I like this about him, or I like this about her." And you find all of these things, but then Christian people come to you and say, "You this is not OK. This person didn't have a relationship with Jesus before they met you. And you're a Jesus follower and they are not and you're gonna make him your spiritual leader and he's gonna lead you away from Jesus or you're going to live in loneliness for your life or like guys I know that she is good-looking and I know that she kinda thinks that God is cool that she's down with Jesus but she is not somebody who's been walking with him for some time or there's this there are consistent Problems in this person's character His business dealings have gone over and over and over again. He's been dishonest Why do you think when you marry him that he will be honest all of the sudden? And you refuse to listen This is a fool the way of a fool is right in his own eyes or her own eyes But a wise man or woman listens to advice. You've got to listen to advice in order to make some steps forward. You have to listen to advice. Otherwise, there are some serious consequences for what's going on. I said this last week, and I started with with women And really, I just kind of (laughs) left at the end of really just dealing with something that's very difficult. And I want to pick up there again, and I'm going to get to the men here in just a few moments. But we were talking about what are the issues that gals sometimes have. And and this isn't just exclusively for women, but I want to tell you that in many different circumstances... In this stage of life, many of you are newly married or you're within the first 10 years or somewhere around there. Um, or even if you've been married for some time, these just, this continually comes up. And so what we said was this. We read from Proverbs 12.4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. That's compared and contrasted with uh, Proverbs 31. Verse 10, which says, an excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. So you have this comparison of like, you've got an excellent wife who is precious. And she's serving her husband and she wants him to do well. And she actually has leadership in the home. She's buying and selling things and she's making things and she deals with people and she's a strong woman. We, strong women are a great thing. But this is contrasting that and it's saying, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so guys sometimes can get locked into this girl and man, she's good looking and she, uh, she's fun to be around and, and all of these things, but then they can overlook some things. And they can marry the wrong person. Now I believe God is sovereign and so we never marry the wrong person and God's plan and so whoever we marry is the person that we're supposed to be so if you're in a marriage and you go oh he just said there's a possibility that I could have married the wrong person no I'm saying no you're married the right person right now but you possibly could have avoided that and that's really hard to understand within the sovereignty of God but I just want you to know this like if you're not married yet like you do not want to marry the wrong person you want to marry somebody who has great qualities and who is not going to bring rottenness into your bones. You want to marry somebody who is going to have your best interest in mind and somebody who loves you and cares about you and wants to listen to wisdom. And if you don't find that, that person can bring rottenness into your bones. Proverbs nineteen thirteen: a foolish son is ruined to his father and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. We said, Proverbs 27, 15 and 16, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. And what that's saying is this, is that if you marry somebody who's constantly nitpicking you, and guys do this to, to women all the time, nitpicking their appearance, constantly going after them. Like, oh, I don't, yeah, yeah," you know. I don't like the way that you did this. I don't like the way that that happened. But I want to say this. Gals, don't overlook this and say, well, that's, you know, that's not really my issue. Maybe it was an issue back then in Solomon's day. No. Solomon wrote this. It is from God. It is for us today. And what it's saying is this, is that a quarrelsome wife... Is somebody who is ready to argue, ready to be contentious, ready to be belittling, ready to disrespect her husband at a moment's notice. And some people might say, you know, I, well, I'm not that. But here's the thing you may not be that on a consistent basis, but there are moments when you and I get angry and the gloves come off and we just say, forget it. Oh, yeah? I'm going to show him. I'm going to show her. I'm going to belittle him in front of other people. I'm going to criticize him. I'm going to make him. I'm going to be funny at his expense. And this is a wife that brings shame and rottenness to the bones of a husband. It's a woman who is without discretion. It says in Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Let me, just, let me just be clear here. At Outward Church, we believe this, that our men have got to serve their wives. In the scriptures, it calls that leadership. Well, what Leadership from a biblical standpoint is dying for your wife. It's laying down your life. It's serving her. It's lifting her up. And so we talk to our men all the time, but what you've gotta know is this, is that you are not abnormal. Most marriages will go through this. Most marriages will run into this, and here's where the differences in gender come into play. It's that you have a different gender than your, your husband, and your husband has a different gender than his wife, and they come together and the wife thinks he should be able to deal with that, he should be able to put up with these things, but here's the thing is that it's, it's a crash course. It's a war that begins where you begin to like, come after each other and you, you begin to uh, attack each other. And the thing begins to fall apart. And people get to this point where they say, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. I didn't think that we were going to have struggles like this. I didn't think that these things were going to fall apart the way that they did. And what I'm saying to you is, they were already falling apart. You came into your marriage full of holes. And God's intent for you is that He's putting you through a sanctification process. He's putting you through a process that says, I'm going to make you into something else. I've never seen people grow the way that they grow after they get married. Because here you are, you're an individual and you're doing whatever you want. And then you get married and now you can no longer do exactly what you want. And someone's there to call you on your stuff. And so I've seen people, I've seen especially many men grow, become more mature in a hurry. I want to tell you that marriage is a good thing because it causes maturity when it's done right. When it's done right, there's a maturity that happens in your life. But if you look at these scriptures and you say, you know what, that's not me, and I don't do that, and I'm not listening to this, and how dare he say that I, I would be contentious, and I just I, I want you to understand something. That a wise man, a wise woman listens to advice, but a fool is somebody who rejects it and walks away. And will you be a wise person, or will you be a fool who just walks away? So here we have these issues that come up in a man's life. I'm sorry, in a woman's life. But in a man's life, what we have is this. Proverbs 11:29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. But that saying here is this, is that there, there is a guarantee in life, and that is if you're foolish and you just do whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want it, ultimately you're going to end up serving the wise person. You're not going to own the business, you're going to work for the business. Now, I'm not saying if you work for somebody that you're a fool, but I'm saying this, that it's not likely that you're going to succeed in life. That's that's not going to take you places. In the same way, the, the, the man who troubles his own household, and by that I mean affairs, porn, mismanagement of finances, abusing his wife, yelling at his wife, being a jerk, expecting things out of her whenever he wants, saying, you're going to be the one who serves me. He who troubles his own household will inherit the wind. You get nothing. If you're a jerk and you're a fool and you don't care about the people in your household and you just do whatever you want, you're going to reap the rewards of that. I was listening to uh, the comedian uh, Steve Martin's book about his life and coming into comedy. And he got into conversations about he and his dad. And he said that his relationship with his dad just grew, it just kind of kept falling apart, kept falling apart. And he remembers one specific instance where his dad said, hey, let's go play ball outside. And he was like, okay, dad's never asked me to do this. And so they walk outside and very formally they just kind of threw the ball to each other, no banter, dad was just fulfilling an obligation that mom probably said, you know, you should go play with Steve. Steve hasn't had time with you. Okay, I'll do it. I'll go do it. You know what that is? That's a guy who troubles his own household. That's a father who's too busy. And do you know why I know this? Because my wife has said that. You should spend some time with the kids. Now, I spend a good amount of time with the kids. But I want you to know that Steve Martin, who's, I don't know how old he is, he's writing a book in his later years in life, and here he is and he's saying, I remember that moment with my dad when he didn't really want to play ball with me, and I knew it. And so, listen, it doesn't just have to be financial mismanagement or big stupid things. All you have to do is be a jerk and think, you know what, this life and this household and the things that I'm doing are about me. You trouble your own household and you inherit the wind. And you say, I don't care about the kids. My wife is going to handle them. They're alive. I'm just providing for them. I'm not really spending time with them. I'm not really doing anything to make sure that they're walking with Jesus or that they have wisdom in life and that they're understanding finances and that they're understanding sex. And your kids know this. And you're going to inherit the wind with a child who hates you. And you're going to inherit the win because all you cared about was yourself. All you cared about is yourself. I was, saw recently a guy named Ray Ortland. Somebody, it was a video of him, and he's, he's a, a wise man who's a part of our church planting network. And somebody asked him a question like, well, you know, what would you say to young, young fathers? What would you have to say to them? And I, I almost tear up every time I hear this guy talk because it's just like, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's just kind of like God is speaking when this guy talks. That's probably a little heavy, but I mean, he's just there's just a lot, a lot of wisdom there. And he says, you know what, guys? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And I sat there and I thought, how can I enjoy this sometimes? The craziness that's going on. The last two days, with uh, me and my wife and our kids have just been like, can, we just got to make it until bedtime. Just got to make it till bedtime. We got to get them in there. And as a father, I have to find ways to enjoy it. To say that in the midst of the craziness, instead of inheriting the wind, I want to lift up my sons and my daughters and to stop and to love them. This morning, my as I was making my way out the door, I was absent-minded and I, and I did not see that my daughter had written a note and placed it on the window right as I was about to go out the door. Or And I think she had even showed it to me and I was like, oh, nice, Reagan. And I, I didn't really acknowledge it. And my wife said, hey, she wrote this for you. And I was like, oh, I, I, yes, that's, that's true. And then she laid a pen there for me to write something back to her. And so my wife kind of you know, encouraging me towards this was, like, you should write her back. I think she said that, and I, okay, I need to stop, and I need to do this. I love you, Reagan, too, or something like that. Love, Daddy. And Chris said that when, when Reagan found that note, she, she was beaming. She said, you should have seen her smile. Like, dads have no idea the effect that they have on their kids, and husbands, You have no idea what kind of effect you have on your wife, on your kids, and on the people around you. But I want to tell you that if you come into your marriage and you say, you know what, I'm completely whole. I have everything together, and I don't need anybody else to tell me what's up. You're a fool, and you're going to mislead your marriage, and you're gonna mislead your kids. And you are going to inherit the wind because of your attitude. And some of you might say, you know, I'm not, really, I'm not really a jerk all the time. Well, you don't have to be a jerk all the time. All you have to be a jerk for is one time. Like Steve Martin and his dad. That's what he remembers, one time. Dad didn't really want to play with me. He felt forced into it. Guys, we are people who lead our families, whether we like it or not. And I I could go on and on here about about men, and I I need to move on from that because I think there's a lot of things that we could say between um, running off at the mouth, saying whatever you want, drinking too much, arrogance, pride, being a self-made man, there's a lot of things that, that could take place, but what I, I need to get into right now is why do these problems exist in our lives? What's going on in marriage? What's going on in marriage is this, is that in the Garden of Eden, when Eve took that, that fruit and she saw that it was good to eat and she, she took a bite and then she handed some to her husband, what took place in that moment is that judgment was going to happen. And as a result, that, that judgment was essentially this. From Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says to the woman, He says, to the woman, He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. And we don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like there wasn't a lot of pain or any pain involved in childbearing before that time but then it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And there are many commentators who look at that, and they say, your desire shall be for your husband. They look at that, and they say, what, what, what that means is this, is that your desire is going to be in some way to control, and in some way to try to, to, to grasp onto him, to hold him so tightly. It's not just a desire for your husband. It's like it's an over-desire. It's really going after him and saying, I really want him. And in your desire to love him and in your desire to have him, perhaps what takes place is that there's a desire to kind of control and to perhaps manipulate. And then what it says about the guy, and he shall rule over you. And what it says is this, is that essentially the effects of sin are this that the things intended for good are changed for bad. What was designed to be an enjoyable relationship with complementary gender roles will be distorted into a struggle for power. And so when you come into your marriage and, and you're in the midst of things and you're kind of going, you know, we're fighting a lot and there's things that are taking place and we're yelling at each other or there, there is this silent treatment that's going on. It's passive aggressive and this is taking place. You need to know what's happening. And that, why are these things taking place? And it's because both parties have a desire to control the other one. And normally what we're doing is we're saying this. I want you to provide for me the pleasures that I so much desire. I want you to give to me. You will be my fulfillment. You will be my everything. You will be the one that I want to fulfill everything in my life. Both men and women do this. And so what that says is this. There is going to be a struggle for power in your marriage. And as a result, what takes place is essentially a crazy cycle it's a crazy cycle and this crazy cycle is essentially this here's how you know you have a crazy cycle you know what's gonna take place you're gonna say this your spouse is gonna say that it's gonna end in this way or the, the nitpicking is gonna happen from this spouse to that one this one's gonna respond by getting more angry and doing whatever they want and going into the other room or going out or going out with friends or doing whatever, drinking too much, saying too much, yelling. And if you can look at your life and you can say, I know how this is going to go down. That's a crazy cycle. And I want to tell you that most marriages end up here because you're the same person every day, all the time. And the only way for you to overcome that it's through wisdom. as to say, I need someone else to speak into my life. I need someone else to come and talk to me. I need someone to speak into my life. And so here's what we oftentimes say. Here's a little marriage counseling session for you. Guys were intended to be initiators. And women were intended to be Responders. We could get into that, but I'm not going to go into it. Let me give you an example. I just wish he'd plan a date for us. I just wish he'd take it upon himself to think about the kids and to do something for them. I just wish that he would think about what I'm doing at the house. You know what you're asking for, ladies? You're asking for him to initiate. You're asking for him to, to initiate something taking place in your marriage. And so here's the thing, you already know this to be true, that men are initiators and women are responders. And so what has to happen is that the wisdom especially has to come into a man's life because a man has to be somebody who's leading his marriage out of brokenness and into wholeness. A man has to be somebody who says, I'm going to take the lead in saying that I want this to be better. But if all that you're ever doing is you're saying, I'm all about work, look at all the money that I make for you, you get defensive every time something happens and you say, oh yeah, you don't even see what I'm doing for you and you don't understand what I'm going through and you, you know what you're doing? You're initiating foolishness further into your marriage and you're taking this thing down piece by piece and you're saying, you know what, it's not my fault. You didn't have dinner ready, and I don't like you. You know what else? This is happening. You know what else? That's happening. You know what you're initiating? The destruction of your marriage. You're tearing it apart. The more defensive you are, the more that you keep coming back saying, you know what, oh yeah, well, you are too. You know, whatever you would say. You're tearing your marriage apart. And you're initiating the destruction of your life. And you know what's going to happen? Your wife is going to respond to that. Your wife is going to respond to that. And so what needs to take place? Well, what I, what I want to say to you this morning is this, is that many of you guys are foolishly... Uh, women do this too, but guys refuse to go to counseling. And it's, it's just flat out foolishness. It's just, if you don't want to listen, you're tearing apart your marriage. You're a fool. I just, that, that's what the scriptures say. If you don't want to listen, you're tearing apart your marriage. If you don't want to go to counseling, if you don't want to go to a good counselor, you are bringing on the destruction. If you don't want to bring someone else into your life, you're bringing destruction on. So you've got to be somebody who's going to break this crazy cycle and say, someone else has got to speak into this. Someone else has got to speak into this part of our life. And so I, just, I want to bring up my wife here for a few minutes and just kind of talk about that because we've kind of had that crazy cycle going before and at times continue to do so. Is that working this time? I think so. Yep. Nice, nice. So in our marriage, we've had this kind of craziness. Like the first year was, was pretty good, right? Better say yes. <laughs> it was all right. Awesome. All right. First year was pretty good. Um, the next years, were um, they got a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult and stuff like that. So um, from your perspective, what was the cause of, of the craziness in our home? What, like what, what took place that kind of put us into this This loop, or what would you uh, say about that? So,
1: it's a wide-open question there. Yeah, Matt basically asked if I would come and share, uh, just kind of, you know, how I have screwed up. So, thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I just, I think this is just. I want to just reaffirm this topic, and I think it can feel heavy, and I think that's because it is. And I think we're, we need to accept the heaviness of. Um, of sin in our marriage and what it does. I think it happens and we don't even realize it. And so I just, I think this stuff is so important to talk about. I would say, I mean, I think at the very roots of any of these crazy cycles is pride and pride and arrogance. And I I think for me, especially, I think it was, as you're talking about this Jenga thing, I, I, when we got married, I had the expectation or the assumption, I don't know if I watched too many Disney movies when I was a kid or just thinking that Matt was going to meet every single one of my needs and it was all going to be perfect. And I just, I thought when you get married, everything's perfect. Life really begins. And the, the truth is you're the same person the day after you get married that you were the day before you get married. So, um, but I think for, for us, I think, and maybe just for me especially, is that I expected, I expected Matt to be Jesus to me. And you're great but you're not Jesus. <laughs> and so I think recognizing where we're where we're searching for our fulfillment, that was that was a big thing for me. But also I think I and I think just thinking that I was right, I'm a firstborn I'm I have very strong firstborn tendencies. And so just thinking that I was right about a lot of things and thinking you were wrong and it's not that you're <laughs> never wrong, let's be clear. But um but I think me coming with that attitude of I'm always right. And that just seeps in and it runs deep. And I, I think a lot of times I don't realize I'm even doing that. And so anyways, but one more thing I was going to say too is even within that, I think when, when Matt would try to, you know, give crit, we'll call it constructive criticism, give constructive criticism, that just felt like criticism to me and I couldn't handle it a lot. And so I, I had to learn to grow in wisdom, and learn to hear what my husband wanted to say to me. And, and you've grown, definitely, in how that comes out, you've definitely grown in that. But, um, but learning to hear what our spouse has to say to us, they're the one that lives with us all the time, they can see that stuff. And so I think growing in how we communicate with one another, on bringing those things, but being open to hearing what your spouse has to say, and that requires humility, and I think at the base of a lot of this is humility. So.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that when we, I mean, this has happened from the very first day of our, our marriage that some things would just escalate and it would, it would end up in days of kind of discord, of like being upset with each other, kind of the silent treatment and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but then as, as time has gone on, one of the things that we have learned is that like accepting responsibility, uh, if nothing else, for just the way that I made you feel in, in this conversation, like, you know, Chris, Chris would say, like, um, you, you raised your voice at me, and you, you, were, you were angry, and you were whatever, and I had a legitimate concern, like, this is taking place, but the truth is, is that I would blow her out of the water, and I would essentially, like, pull the pin, throw a grenade in the midst of things, and just blow it up by getting angry, and then, but what ended up happening is taking responsibility earlier, for stupid things that I said in, in that. And I still struggle with that. Like like admitting like, okay, I'll accept what you have to say that I was angry there or that I shouldn't have done that. And, and then we were able to have a conversation and just saying, you know, when this takes place, when you act this way, it makes me feel like this is, like you don't care about whether you know, this is happening or whatever. Yeah, well, the
1: emotion comes out of it, and I think then we're able to really understand one another and hear what the person's trying to say, because a lot of times when we react, you react out of emotion, and you don't always react in a way that you feel, and so it's if you remove some of that emotion, you can actually get down to, okay, what is actually going on? And, and it would it would be that I, disres- I you felt disrespected when I, you yeah. know, whatever, and so that's part of the crazy cycle is figuring out where you can break that. What is actually going on? Um, anyways.
0: Yeah, and so some things that we did, that we did early on was we, we made some decisions about when we would have conversations because when we had those conversations was as important as having the conversation. And so, like, one of them was late at night was really bad for me because I would just get mad and get more upset and just kind of write things off, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, like 11 p.m., I would be like, let's talk he'd be like, uh, it's just not going to go well. So, yeah, we had to make a decision not to bring things up late. And I was like, I can finally think straight because all the rascals are in bed. I mean, I I can finally have a a, a single thought. Anyways, but so, yeah, that was one that we learned.
0: So time of day, um, kind of the tone tone of voice, even between both of us, um, was instead of like blowing up at somebody, it is it has, it has turned into figuring out how to have a conversation without the emotion, like cutting out the emotion and just saying, this is the way that I feel when this takes place is that is that would you say that's true
1: yeah, totally and i I think what you're talking about as far as that cycle and that you know if you're in, if you're married, you know you know what buttons to push I mean I know what to say to you know I know, and he knows vice versa and I think you know those things, and so i I think they're in, you you have to show restraint in some of that, like, I mean, the Bible, I mean, Proverbs is full of stuff, like, not always going off what you feel, and sometimes that means, for for me, sometimes that means closing my mouth, and not saying what I'm thinking at that moment, or not saying exactly what I'm feeling, and so, yeah, having shorter accounts on that stuff, and and being, um, yeah. I think. Yeah,
0: and w- one of the best things that we've done is is bringing in like a, a third party or having somebody that we can go to, having a couple that we've both agreed that either we can talk to them individually or we can both go go to them together. And so you've had somebody like that in your life for a long time that has that you've gone to and and brought all of your gripes about me. And uh,
1: how do I straighten this yeah. fool out?
0: <laughs> yeah, and so but but we've also gone to them together and said so, like this was a, here's an issue in our life, and, and like, how do we, how do we work through that? Was that difficult, you think, for, uh, for you, or what, what did you, how did you feel in the midst of that?
1: I can't remember. (laughs) Probably. Nice. No, I think it was good. I think, I think I, I knew that, that they were safe, and I knew that they loved us and cared about us, and, and I, I I felt like that was going to be a move in the right, the right direction, so. And yeah, I mean, we still have those relationships with those people, and we continue to talk to them about things. And it's crazy if, if you don't. I mean, it's just yeah. you, you need that. We need that. We all need. We all need counsel. We all need input. So
0: yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bib. Love you. Um, I uh, just want to wrap up here with just a, a couple of things. One is is getting good counsel, having somebody speak into your marriage, having them speak into um, what's going on. Um, Here's some bad examples of having somebody else speak into your life. Um, close family members, um, brothers or sisters um, are uh, really bad at that. Unless there's abuse uh, or something that's very serious, um, you should leave those people out of it. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, workers um, other divorced people who want to give advice. Um, here's some good uh, third-party par- examples it's a community group leader. It's a solid Christian couple who's been married for a while who believes the Bible. It's a a good Christian counselor who actually has a church that they go to, is still married, uh, believes the Bible themselves, um, the the pastor, the elders. Um, If you're not even sure where to go or where to begin or where to start your pastors, uh, the elders here at Outward Church, your community group leader uh, is a great place to begin. Like, I don't know how serious this is. What should I be looking at? And so, lastly, is this. So that as a, as a Christian, in the midst of your marriage, not a whole lot's going to happen as long as you're looking at your spouse saying, you're going to fulfill all of my needs. But I want you to look at Philippians 2 just very briefly. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and I'll stop right there. What that says right there is this, is that just simply as a Christian, when you come into your marriage, if you're coming to your marriage and you're saying, I want them to be my everything and to fulfill all that I am and to to make me the happiest that I've ever been, you know what's going to take place? true discomfort it's true discord but when you take on the life of Christ that though he was in the form of God though he had every right though he had every right to say I'm God and you should treat me this way I'm God and you should you shouldn't be spitting on me this way and you shouldn't crucify me though he had every right he did not take those rights and some of you are coming into your marriage, and you're taking worldly advice, and that worldly advice is saying to you, you know what? You deserve better than this. You know what? You deserve a wife that's going to provide these things for you. You know what? Your husband, you, you need to have a husband that does this for you. And you know what? It's the complete opposite of what God wants in your life. Because God has brought about marriage to be a display of who he is. And the display of who he is is somebody who comes and dies for his spouse. Jesus who comes to earth and he he allows himself to be put to death on a cross in order to make us whole. The question is, is whether you will have that viewpoint and have wisdom in the context of your marriage or whether you will be somebody who just says, I just want what I want. I just want what I want. And if that's you, I just want to tell you that from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective, that is truly, truly foolish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we ask for your wisdom. Lord, that you would allow us to become people who are fully engaged with the idea that you gave yourself up for us on the cross. And Lord, as a result, you want us to be people who are giving ourselves up in our marriages. And so Lord, we're asking that you would fulfill in us uh, this desire to want to live out the gospel every day in our marriage and for our spouse. Lord, would you allow us to be people, would you cause us to be people through the power of your spirit that are deeply desired to lift up our kids and our, and our wife and our husband. And Lord, to, to say that I, I wanna honor Jesus with the way that I treat you and I wanna honor Jesus with the way that I live. So Lord, would you, would you bring that about in our lives in our marriages. Lord, for those that are unmarried in this room right now, God, would you cause us to be people who desire wisdom and want people to speak into our lives? Lord, really, that's for every single one of us here. It's in your name we pray, amen.